Thanks for joining us. Hi, my name is uh, Rob Davis. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard Church in Hopkinton. And I just uh, thank you for this opportunity to be joining you probably in your living room. And we just pray that this time together we, we can really share God's word that should be lifted up and encouraged. I don't know if you heard the story just before the coronavirus broke out of the salesman from Hopkinton that went down to New Bedford and got involved in a, um, a robbery. He was filling up his car at a, at a convenience store at a gas station and went into the convenience store to pick up something and pay for something. And while he was there, uh, a, a, you know, some robbers came and just destroyed the convenience store, uh, stole his iPhone, stole his wallet, beat him up like, like bad. And uh, then they took his car. So he staggered out of the convenience store, really fighting for his life. I mean, he was bleeding badly. He was uh, sort of fading out of uh, consciousness. Uh, he managed to get around the back of the store, and uh, he, he found his way to this park bench or street bench. And uh, he was just sitting there trying to uh, basically just gain consciousness. When he was coming about, uh, he noticed that he was sitting in front of a church, and uh, a, a pastor came out of the church. And so he, he, he kind of put his hand up to say, hey, listen, I, I need some help. And, and the, the pastor looked at him and pretty much just went on his own way. And so he felt really just weak and helpless, and he was, didn't know what to do. He was sitting there, and two businessmen come walking down the street, and he can overhear the conversation, and he hears the one guy saying, man, I'm a leader in this church around the corner. And, and again, he, he puts his hand out, just, can you help me? And they, they look at him, and uh, they just keep walking. And uh, he's just feeling terrible. Well, an Uber driver pulls up, and the guy's uh, from the Middle East somewhere, and uh, he doesn't speak great English. But he, he knows the area, and he, he sees this guy, and he's bleeding badly. And he stops and he, he, he says, do you need help? And, and he realizes the guy can't even respond to him. So he gets out of the car and he says, I, I need to take you to the hospital. And, uh, he, you know, he's got blood everywhere. And he, he puts him in his backseat of his Corolla and drives him to the hospital. Well, that's a fake story. And you probably, if you're fairly familiar with uh, the Gospels, would know that that's a fake story. And I was alluding to uh, the story in the Bible of the Good Samaritan. So uh, let me uh, tell you that story, or even better, let me read it to you. And let's discuss that story this morning. But first, let me pray. Jesus, I just pray that uh, just during this time that you would speak to uh, those that you are working with. You'd comfort people listening to what I'm saying You'd build them up, uh, Lord, that you would change us to be like you and to have your heart, a heart of compassion and of mercy for others, even strangers. Just empower what I say this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. If you've got a Bible, uh, open it up to the Gospel of Luke. As we're working through the parables... Uh, this parable uh, is really one of the famous parables. 
uh, in the Bible. And it's only found in the Gospel of Luke, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The other parable that you only find in the Gospel of Luke is, is the, the parable of the prodigal son. But these two parables, and this particular parable with the Good Samaritan, has so shaped culture throughout the ages, and it has transformed the way Christians respond to other people, uh, especially people that are different to them. It's just had a disproportionately positive influence on who we are as followers of Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm reading from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And if you've got an electronic device uh, and you want to follow along with me, I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And it's always helpful to take notes or ask questions in your margin as we go along to follow up with uh, later. But let me read this to you. One day, an expert in religious law, in other words, a lawyer, stood up to test Jesus, asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this was the type of discussion that academics would have uh, at that time. It, you know, it was, a, it was based on the question of how much do I have to do? What can I do and what can't I do? But when have I worked hard enough to, to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus does something that is fantastic. Instead of answering the question directly, he answers the question with another question. Now, if you're a leader or a small group leader, uh, this is a great way of uh, leading a group. You ask questions. Jesus replied like this. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How would you read it? So the ball's back in the lawyer's court, and now he's got to defend what he's going to say. And he actually gives an answer that he's probably heard Jesus give, and he quotes it really well. He says, a good lawyer, in other words. The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. Which is a quote from Deuteronomy 6.5, which is the Shema, which is the Jewish prayer that they do in the morning and the evening. Uh, it's super well known. And then he adds what Jesus would have taught him to have added, And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, the issue here is this. The guy asking these questions is not asking uh, because he's inquiring about uh, life. He's asking because he's trying to uh, outsmart Jesus or catch him out. And uh, so he knew that, well, who is your neighbor? This is a legal question. Like, uh, how do you define it? And he probably, probably would have known in his culture that neighbor was more than just the person living next door to you. Uh, maybe it extended to, like, your Jewish synagogue or those in your, you know, circle. But Jesus gives an answer which is actually just mind-blowing. Uh, and Jesus tells him this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. 
By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed to the other side. Jesus' story and his parables are just absolutely brilliant. I mean, firstly, this road to Jericho is notoriously uh, problematic with, with being mugged uh, throughout the ages. And again, the attitude of the priest and could be the Levite or the temple assistant, there was legal reason why they wouldn't touch somebody that could potentially be dead because they would be unclean. And then they'd be ceremonially unclean. And what Jesus is doing so well here is he's saying, look, even if you've got a, a, a case uh, to not get involved, you can always come up with an excuse or even a legal excuse. But Jesus is pressing hard and saying, but love and compassion win the day. And so the story carries on, and it says, then a despised Samaritan. I mean, Jesus could not have chosen uh, a more a problematic character to make the, as the hero of the story. Uh, Jewish people did not get on with Samaritans. Uh, there was a lot of conflict between them. And so the despised Samaritan comes along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two, shillings, two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, that's also kind of a phenomenal uh, piece of information here because what this good Samaritan, this despised Samaritan, was actually paying was not just enough money to cover one night or two nights at the inn. It was enough to cover like one month or perhaps even two months at the inn. I mean, it was over and above generous. And he's still saying, hey, if it's not enough, I'm good for more. And then Jesus hits him with the punchline. He says in verse 36, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And then the lawyer asked, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. The one who showed him mercy. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of mercy or maybe not even mercy, but a random act of unbelievable kindness. Uh, if you have, it would have stuck with you. You would remember that. Uh, you know, Liz and I were uh, in the process of emigrating to the States in 1986. I know it's before some of you were born. But this story uh, is so powerful that I can still vividly remember it. And uh, our story was this. We had uh, an amazing, amazing deal where we got a round-the-world air ticket for $1,800. We could fly anywhere in the world for one year for $1,800. It was just an incredible deal. And so we were crisscrossing America, and uh, we were flying into Knoxville, Tennessee, 
And, uh, uh, you know, we, we were traveling. We didn't have time to plan. So we just about to come in for landing, and I called the air steward over, and I said, um, could you tell me uh, how far is Knoxville from the Smoky Mountains, from uh, Gatlingburg? And is there a car, a rental car company at this airport? And she said, look, I, I, I got no idea. I said, well, could you go ask the captain for me? So she said, okay. And the lady sitting in front of us overheard me speaking, and she turned uh, around and said, I'll give you a ride. I said, what? How far is it? She said, oh, it's about an hour and something, but I'm going to Gatlingburg. I'll give you a ride. So I was like just profound gratitude. So we drive for an hour. It's her and her friend that were on this flight, and Liz and I, and we get chatting. And uh, so she asked what we want to do in Gatlinburg. And I said, look, I, I just want to go see the Great Smoky Mountains. I want to go hike up in the mountains and maybe find the Appalachian Trail. And, and uh, then we're flying out in a week's time. So I've got a week, and uh, that's what we want to do. So she said, sure, I'll take you down to the campground and uh, help you out. So we get to the campground, and uh, it's like an RV place. And I've got a little pup tent. I said, no, it's not, we can't stay here. And then she took us to another one. And it was like 25 bucks a night. And I said, man, I, I, like, I can't afford 25 bucks a night. <laughs> and so she looked at me and she said, you can't afford 25 bucks a night? I said, eh, well, not, not unless I really have to. <laughs> so she said, well, I got a plan. Uh, you can stay for free in the woods right next to this brook. Nobody will know that you're there. It'll be safe. And then the next day you can go hiking up into mountains. Uh, you know, you can go to the the information bureau at the, at the entrance to the Smoky Park. You can just walk down there. It'll be fine. So I said, oh, that sounds like a great plan. Take us there. <laughs> so she does. And she says, now, when you get back, uh, just across the way is my husband's uh, store. Uh, check in with him when you get back. So we did, and uh, we had a great time in the Smokies and came back and pretty dirty and stinky and sweaty. And we go to his store, and he says to us, I've been waiting for you. We've planned uh, to invite you over for a barbecue, uh, let you sleep at our house so you can shave and shower and shampoo, and then we're going to take you back to the airport the next day. How do you feel about that? And of course, we were just stunned. I mean, these are people we don't even know. But I can still remember their names, Kel and Linda from Gatlingburg, Tennessee. And Cal, if you and Linda, you're hearing this, thank you, bless you. It made a huge impact. Yeah, when you've been on the receiving end of grace and mercy, it's just incredible. And mercy is one of our values here at the church. We want to be a people that are full of mercy. Uh, we want to actually even be praying, God, give us opportunities to be merciful. And a close companion uh, of mercy would be benevolence. You know, so during this uh, unbelievable time of COVID-19, uh, as a pastor, I'm trying to figure out, like, who in our church needs financial help? And can we help them? And do we have the resources to help them when, you know, finances are under pressure? And so, you know, we've tried to be as benevolent as we can with the people that we know. And it's important to me because relationships are important. 
And so, uh, you know, the money that we've received from many of you, which have been so, so generous, and I thank you for that, we've, we've you know, spent on and given out as benevolence, uh, primarily to people in our body. And, uh, you know, then we also want to be, like, generous to people that are, like, remotely connected to us or lightly connected to us as a church as a second, uh, you know, priority. The first priority is our, is our folk. But then even further than that, like, hey, can we do something even further, like, with our town? Uh, and, of course, you know, you just get stretched, uh, stretched thin. But we want to be a people that are relationship-driven and mercy-focused. And mercy is just a great value. But when it comes to vision and values, you know, a vision for our church uh, is the Great Commission. We want people to know Jesus, but not just know about Jesus. We want people to become his disciples because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. That's why I was so excited to start this church. And that's why I've always tried as hard as I can to plant other churches or have other people start churches or help other people start churches because that's our vision. The Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples, you know, followers of Jesus. Uh, and a value would be that we would be merciful. And another value would be that we operate in relationship with others. Uh, last week, Stephen showed you two great videos uh, of my friends, one Matthias in Lisbon. And the other was Paco in Cordova, Spain. Uh, and this week, I want to show you a video of another two uh, friends of mine that, that have started churches. Uh, why don't you look at these two videos? <laughs> Y yo te pido, Señor, que esta mañana tú nos toques, Rey amado, y que ellos puedan volver a ti, Señor, que ellos puedan reconocer que fuera de ti nada son y nada tienen, Rey amado. Yo te pido misericordia por ellos, yo te pido, Padre, que tú los libertes de la Hi, Hopkinton Vineyard. Great speaking to you here from Cape Town. Uh, last year, 2019, uh, we planted a church and uh, it was from scratch with no people, no nothing. And, but the Lord said, you need to plant a church. So um, at this point, I just want to say thank you on behalf of our church as well to your church and Pastor Rob and Liz for your great help. Church And uh, the Lord's been good to us. The, uh, the, the people attending these little groups uh, are amazing. We actually get more people uh, doing the WhatsApp calls uh, cell group than people attending cell groups, so, which is great. On Sunday night, I had uh, three young adults uh, in a different part of our of Cape Town. They wanted to be baptized, want to be baptized, and uh, we had a baptism class uh, on a WhatsApp call. So it was great. We're doing all kinds of things, and we're just grateful. Thank you so much. The Lord bless you. So a quick update. Uh, with Morena down in the Dominican Republic, as you can see, the church looks very different. And everybody that I've contacted have been impacted by coronavirus and 
you know, are all feeling financial pressure, and uh, life is different for, for everybody. But uh, I'm encouraged. Morena's spirits are, are, are good. Uh, they're dealing with adversity well. And uh, likewise, uh, Gerard, uh, you know, it was an amazing opportunity for me uh, nine months ago to help him start his church. And uh, he's not even a year into it, and he's already got like 60 people coming to the church and uh, doing really well. And of course, you know, now everything's on hold for, for him as well. But back to mercy. When I look at all the different people and different churches that we have close relationship with, Paco's church in Cordova, Spain, stands out as being in a desperate time. And the reason is this. Uh, Cordova, Spain, has, had just recovered, barely, from the economic crisis that went through Spain and particularly southern Spain. And then with this coronavirus, the, the only major industry in the city is tourism, which is completely shut down. And so when I was speaking to Paco, I said, Paco, how's your church finances? And he said, yep, they're down. And I know the people that go to his church. And so I said, how are the people doing? And he said, look, they're unable to pay for food. And so I'm trying as much as I can as a church to help my people uh, put food on the table. It's not that they can't get food. It's that they can't afford food. Now, when you have relationship with people, everything changes. I mean, these aren't just like, you know, people in the other side of the world. These are people that I've been to their houses. I've spoken with them. I've prayed for them. And so, you know, as uh, we connect as vineyard churches, the glue that holds us together is relationship. And so I want to do a little challenge here as we close. Uh, you know, you folks at the Vineyard Hopkinson have been incredibly generous. But I'm asking, would you consider being exceptionally merciful and giving a financial offering over and above your regular giving to this church that we can give directly to Paco to Cordova, Spain, so that he can help his church members get food on their tables? And I, knowing Paco, he, those people would be actually helping extended families if we can help them do this. So if you go online, you'll see we've got a special fund set up. Or if you're sending a check, uh, you can just mark it for, uh, for Benevolence for Spain or Mercy for Spain. But I would really like to get this money to, to them soon because uh, they are in desperate shape. Thank you for allowing me to spend this time with you. Hopefully, God will bless you. And hopefully, as you reach out in mercy and are merciful to others, you'll A, enjoy the experience and feel incredibly blessed by Jesus in doing so. Thank you.